All right, well, let's, um, all right, we're still eating, but let's just stop for a second and uh, thank God for bringing us here together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many gifts that you've given us this day. We thank you for our friendship and our time here together. We ask you to send the Holy Spirit to enlighten us as we talk and discuss. And we uh, invoke your name in the words that our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, Son, Amen. All right, I'm continuing the, the, the poetry in the beginning um, with the topic that we have today. Uh, what I wanted to read to you um, is a medieval poem. Um, it's from uh, this manuscript called St. Marshall of Limoges, um, or if it's French, St. Marshall of Limoges. Um, and then they just drop the ES because they're French and they're lazy with their letters. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's... Uh, you might know it, um, some people sing it, it's the Plebs Angelica. So, Plebs Angelica, phalanx et archangelica principans terma, vertus uranica ac potestas amifona, dominantia numina divinaque subselia, cerebim aretheria ac seraphim indincoma, vos o Michael coeli satrapa, Gabriel que veradans verba nuncia, atque Raphael vite vernula, transfertinos in paradisiculos. And it's Latin, obviously. Um, what? I know. Wow. So Plebs Angelica, the, um, so he's, he's talking about the, the nine spheres of angels, and he's invoking all of them, and then he comes down to the archangels here. So let's just go through it. So Plebs Angelica, the ange angelic uh, host, right? Phalanx at Archangelica Principans Terma. It's so we start with the the angels, and then we move on to the archangels who are arrayed as a phalanx and a troop. Phalanx was a yeah defense. Yeah, defensive. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the Virtus Uranica at Potestas Omifona. So <clears throat> now he's invoking the virtues and the powers. And then uh, dominantia numina, which is the, the dominions, and the divinia uh, subcellia, the thrones. So dominions, thrones, cherubim, and seraphim. And seraphim get this really awesome Latin word, ignicoma, which is a single adjective, and it means fire hair. <laughs> what? It means fire hair. And it's an adjective, single adjective means what? fire hair. Why? Ignicoma. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Would you use it to describe like a redhead too, or does that get its own? It, redhead actually has its own, but yes, you could use it to that way. And then he says, you, Michael, the satrap of heaven. And satrap is a, a phrase that we get from the Persian Empire, is the viceroy. He's the person entrusted by the emperor. The, and of course, the Persian emperor was referred to always as the king of kings. Mm -hmm. And so he's uh, giving it this idea of, you know, in heaven, we have the king of kings and Michael has been entrusted with this authority. 
Um, and then Gabriel, you who gave the the vera verba, the true word, right? And then he ends. I love this. Um, so he kind of like works his way up through the choirs, and then he goes back down to the archangels, and he does Michael, Gabriel, and then Raphael gets his own little um, the vite vernula. He's the little household boy of life. Uh, the vernula is like your um, your servant, but it's it's a specific kind of servant, and it, um, it's, it's the the young boy who would accompany you. Um, which, of course, is, is probably a, a reference to um, the Book of Tobit and the way that he appears uh, in there. But it's this beautiful... Vitae Vernula is a very beautiful Latin phrase. From someone who does classics, that's what I'm saying. And then this very beautiful phrase in here, transferte nos in paradisiculos. Um, so carry us up among the... And then another beautiful Latin, right? Paradisiculos is the single word, which means inhabitants of paradise. But inhabitant, a cola, is not someone who inhabits, but also someone who worships. And so the worshiper inhabitants of paradise. It's a very hard thing to communicate in English, but there, I've spelled it out. Patrick, who wrote this? So it's unknown. Um, so it's in the St. Marshall of Le Limoges um, manuscript of the 13th century. There are some other, it's what we call florilegium, it's or an anthology where you've pulled together various pieces. Uh, there's a very beautiful poem, which I dare say was more beautiful than this one, which is uh, by Dun Scotus, uh, which goes something along the lines of, um, he's just a monk and he's a scholastic and he writes <laughs> in the margins this poem and the poem gets picked up and carried around. It's like, I read and I write, I think I pray, like, and he just goes through, like, the stuff that he does, like, every day, and how useless it is, but he's very famous, Yeah. in Duns Scotus, right? Right. And he's talking about, you know, and I, I wake up in the night, and I pray, and I wake up in the morning, and still I'm a sinner, Jesus and, uh, Jesus and Mary, please have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, I'm not communicating how beautiful a poem it is, because it kind of, like, he kind of plays with, like, in the first half of the line, something great he does in the monastery. In the second half of the line, like, how petty and trivial a uh, human being he is. And it's a, it's a beautiful poem. But uh, I wanted to bring up this one just because uh, it has to deal with... Um, the angels. The angels, yeah. yeah. So, Father, do you want to kick us off here? Yeah, so I, um, um, I, I gave a talk on this um, a couple of times in my old parish. So... Uh, Part of my old assignment was I, I was the chaplain of a high school, St. Thomas Aquinas. And when I would visit classrooms, uh, one question that I got over and over again was, how many exorcisms have you done? But there was this real fascination <laughs> with exorcisms. And, um, you know, I mean, the answer is that the, you know, the di each diocese is supposed to have a priest who's trained in this, and I mean, your typical parish priest isn't going to be doing exorcisms. But pop quiz: yeah. Who's the proper minister of exorcism, though? It's the uh, yes. Please answer. Is it the bishop? It is the, yes, bishop. the bishop. That's right, because you need the bishop's permission. But really, that's true. The parish priest's ministry is uh, it's always united to the bishop. I mean, anything we do needs to be connected to the bishop. The bishop has to give me faculties to preach. He has to give me faculties to baptize and hear confessions. And 
same mass and all those. If you things. travel down the road to Wichita ISCs, <coughs> you'd have to send a letter in. To yeah, the... send a letter in, and yeah. So our ministry is always connected to the bishop. So sorry, I know that was a side alley. Yeah, but, but it's an interesting one. It is. It is. It is. So, um, but you know, this got me thinking. The more I ran into this, like you know, that everything is showing our society um, seems to be moving away from belief in God. Okay. You know, you see this, uh, there's there's all these studies out that say that somewhere between 20 to 25% of American adults are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They, atheist, agnostic, claim no religious affiliation. So you would think in that society that you would see uh, interest in exorcisms going down. But really, even in the pop culture, we see this. You know, in, in 2016, Fox... Uh, the, the network um, released a series called The Exorcist, and it was loosely based on the movie, mm-hmm. which was loosely based, uh, sort of loosely based on an actual exorcism. And you see this, like, like every few years, there seems to be a new movie out about the demonic or about exorcisms. This seems to be something that fascinates the culture, and you would think it would be the opposite. And I really think what's going on here is there... The way I read this is it's an it's an implicit acknowledgement of something that we profess every Sunday that God is maker of all things visible and invisible that there is this invisible order to creation uh, that we can't detect by our five senses and I and it's not just interest in exorcism I mean you see these so-called paranormal investigator shows on TV you know, ghost hunters or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think there's actually one called Paranormal Investigator. So you see these shows that in this age that seems to be moving away from belief in God and the supernatural, you see that there's a market for these shows. And I'll tell you what, the market is not 60-year-old churchgoers for people who watch these shows and movies. You know, it's not devout Christian believers that are tuning into Ghost Hunters on whatever cable show it's on, you know? Well, to... I, my my wife, my wife and I, years ago when we did have cable, you guys did watch some it. of it. We weren't into it. Were you a fanboy? <clears throat> no. <laughs> yeah. uh, what I was kind of intrigued by was just how they made a show out of nothing. Yeah, yeah. Because in the end, there's always sort of like there'd be like an illusion in the beginning of the episode to some incident later on in the episode, and like just wait until you see what we actually s- and uncover. And then you get to it, and it's like, oh, well, I, I guess that was nothing. So it's like every Bigfoot documentary ever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, hey, we... we it was a, it was a yeah. fascination. It was kind of like a, a Seinfeld type thing. It's a show yeah. about nothing. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. sorry. No, no, you're right. You're right. But 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 I think there is this there is this uh, weird kind of uh, fascination with it. So mm-hmm. so when I wrote this talk, it was for two groups. Um, one was for our youth group, and then one was for the the parish women's group. Um, but basically, you know, to understand the invisible creation that we cannot detect with our five senses, it's good to first run through the visible creation, right? Mm-hmm. This is what we can detect by our sight, our, our hearing, our smell, touch, taste. There are basically, we can divide it up into four categories, right? We have inanimate objects, rocks, right? Um, mountains, uh whatever dirt and then we have vegetative life this is life that grows uh well well first it's it's quote unquote born 
uh, it grows and then it decays and dies, right? This is trees, plants, etc. Then we have like we'll call it sentient life. These are animals born, mature, begin to die, eventually die, but they can move around. They can use their senses to detect things. Um, you know, they can, uh, it, it's generally considered a higher form of, of life. And then you have mankind, which is this rational animal. That's how Socrates defined man. Man is a rational, Aristotle, and Aristotle, Aristotle. Aristotle. Excuse me. Which is the, no, it, it's okay. Yeah. I, I, took a, I took a class which was solely on Aristotle's De Anima, which is on the soul. And, well, you know, you know my <clears> mistake so, so I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to well actually you, which is my worst habit. No, that's that's what we pay for, <clears> is to well actually me. <laughs> but what, what, every, uh, what I want to add to that, what you're saying is that, that all of this is not sort of divine revelation. Right, the, right, right, the, right. <clears throat> that is, well, of course, like all of creation is divine in origin and has this giftedness to it. And yet it, uh, this knowledge, what you're talking about, is part of the natural order. Right, 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 right. You, These are... And yet we live in a society post-Descartes where we become unhinged from the reality of existence. One of the saddest things I've ever uh, seen is, uh, you know, when I was up at, at the University of Kansas, had a student who really believed that we were living in um, the uh, matrix the matrix we believed that we were living in a um, did he take the red or blue pill what's the mm. sorry the words escaping me I'm using the S uh, not synthesis so. symbolic no, it, no. I'll, I'll come back simulation. to me later simulation oh. theory right where everything is a simulation that we were just brains in jars somewhere. Right. It was one of the saddest things of just trying to convince the student in terms of Occam's razor of like right. the simplest explanation is, is very, often, is the very often the truth. Yeah. When you say we're post Descartes, what do you what do you mean by that? So look, I'll let yeah you go ahead. So the ethics teacher. <laughs> All right. Well, so Descartes Descartes in a sense kind of codified doubt. Is the way to know. So he doubted everything, and really, what philosopher. he was a philosopher, French Catholic, yeah, uh, Catholic by the way too, uh, and remains Catholic. Remained Catholic, yeah. But he he said, you know, he's the one who says, "I think, therefore, I am." That was what he mm -hmm. felt back on the one thing he couldn't doubt. He thinks, therefore, he must exist. But what this introduced, in a sense, is, is this idea of this gap, this mind world gap. Because we have always understood truth as this conformity of mind to reality. And Descartes introduced this doubt. Maybe my mind can't, uh, what it says is reality, maybe that's not true. You know, it, it, it introduced this doubt that brought about what in philosophy we call the mind world gap. Right. Uh, if, if, I, if I ever were to write a book about this, um, I would, my, my now seven-year-old Michael, when he was two years old and three years old, he had these imaginary friends, two imaginary friends, the mean robot and the happy ghost. Mm -hmm. And the post-Descartes world, what's brought us about is this idea of the ghost and the machine. Yeah. Uh, right. Which we see afterwards, right? That the body uh, is fallible. Mm -hmm. It lies to us. We see this, right? This is why those, uh, the, the 3D optical illusions, those, uh, mm -hmm. the books that you get, right? Mm -hmm. um, or posters, right? We can be deceived. This is why the... In Athens, you go to the Parthenon, right, and they uh, mathematically use perspective 
they know that the human eye distorts perspectives and lines and so worked around that so the idea that you have this um, mean machine the mm-hmm. right uh, that that you you live in you're stuck in and you're the happy ghost mm-hmm. and how much of what's coming through the machine actually um, affects the happy ghost and mm-hmm. the ghost is going to be happiest mm-hmm. when it's least deceived by the machine right right all of this is um, the people Catholic and not have been arguing against this for over a century now of sort of trying to undo this and come back to reality. Mm-hmm. There's a famous Jewish philosopher in the 20th century called Martin Buber, uh, who has a, a very famous book called I and Thou. Mm-hmm. And in that, you know, he, he posits an epistemology. Epistemology is a way of knowing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you know things not solipsistically like Descartes, where you just are yourself and then yourself creates a world. Mm-hmm. As if your mind is the Big Bang, mm-hmm. right? Where that's not true to reality. Of you come to know the world through the otherness of the world, through its stuff. First, the keys, the cold, hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, the keys I saw on the table. My babies don't know the world through keys at first. They know it through cold. They know it through sensations. Right. Um, but then through people and relationships. Right which then points to the what Buber calls the I-thou relationship of, you know, eventually the, the self and God. Right. And only knowing the self through God, where Descartes dangerous in the respect that uh, I know God is known through me yeah. rather than I am known through God. Right, 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 right. Which right. is a sidetrack, but it's a worthy sidetrack. It's a worthy sidetrack. It is, it is. And, um, but I think... Um, I, I think when you look at what is different from us and the animals, because on one hand, we're very similar to animals. We have a body that is born, that matures, that can get sick and hurt, eventually becomes old and dies, right? But what's different is our rationality, right? You know, uh, Chesterton's, in my opinion, greatest book, The Everlasting Man, it talks about what's, the first part is what's unique about this animal called man. And he talks about the cave and the cave drawings, right? And that the caveman was an artist, that he would not just hunt deer, he would paint them on the cave, right? There is something uh, in that that's unique, that's unique that we don't see that if, like like with Dr. Howell's uh, talk on Sunday, he talked about language yeah. and how language is wholly unique. And so we see that... that yeah. on that because it's yeah. not it's not just rationality right that goes back to Aristotle there's three right. there are three things that make the human person sure. unique uh, man is a rational animal mm-hmm. the human person is the political animal mm-hmm. and that is it belongs in a certain kind of community polys and and in addition to that the human person is the most mimetic animal which was the whole thing I obsessed over with you guys last semester so language evolves out of our mimesis in addition to our, our logic. So language is, is a, what uh, we would call um, emergent order uh, out of, uh, again, it's part of that divine spark that, that, that plays through us, the logos, right? That no one, you know, pace or, or peace, peace be upon the, the French in the, the 1700s, who tried to impose an academy that dictated what language was going to be, but most language emerges in sort of a, a chaotic yeah. way where it's like Italian traffic. Uh, unlike our traffic where we have stop signs and signals, yeah. 
the Italian traffic, it flows sometimes faster than American traffic, but it's just sort of everyone sort of figuring things out. We've had this phenomenon where the, the stoplight goes out. Well, who Who's going to turn when? Well, you have, to have, you have to have a cop. You have to have a cop go in the... No, in the, yeah. no. It, it, in fact, it's usually more efficient without the police officer. No, it is. It, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's fair. Anyway. That's fair. Uh, anyway, sorry. Everything is bad. But so it's, it's, I want to add on to that. that it's not just our, um, rationality. our rationality. Right. It's this other capacity, which is we share kind of with animals. So that's why sometimes you, people like talk about chimps or dolphins or whatever. Right. And they see things and they're like, oh, it's human-like. But are the scale of our mimetic... Right. Right, right. The scale of which we imitate is un, is wholly uncanny. Yeah, yeah. So you'll see, you'll see, like a gorilla uh, use a stick to gauge the depth of, say, a river before crossing, which is which is very human-like. But that stick hasn't advanced in millennia, you know. Whereas our tools, yeah, have been perfected, and 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 so. <laughs> But I would say the last thing that, that we should talk about with mankind is is um, we're a, in light of all that Patrick said, all the all the unique characteristics we've understood philosophically, man is a body soul composite, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a body soul composite. So uh, man is like this intersection between the material world that we can see and sense in this spiritual world that we cannot. And I think one of the reasons, one of the, one of the key pieces of evidence for this is the near universality of religious belief and practices in mankind. You know, Dr. Howell talked about this as well, that you can go to these super remote cultures that have had no exposure and they believe in spirits in the trees or, or, or there's some sense that there is this in visible part of the world yeah the the numinous right, right? this infusion of the divine a, of a divine whatever it is right 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 we're not going to talk about the divine tonight we're, well we are indirectly um but we're going to talk about angels all right or at least we're going to start there uh, from here angels are you know, in America, we think of them as, uh, you know, these human beings with wings and a halo. I was looking to see if we had any ugly art yeah, hanging right. around here. Right, right. Little... An angel, though, we need to, we need to kind of uh, uh, backtrack on our understanding of them. An angel is a pure spirit, does not have a body, has a mind, uh, an intellect, a will, but not a body. Okay. So they don't have, like, emotions, passions? It, as we experience yeah. it through the body, yeah, they don't. They don't. Yeah, that, and the way that they come to know things is other than the way that we come right. to know things. Right, because we come Just to know through straight. sense. We yeah. we come to know through our senses. Yeah. Uh, sorry to. No, no, you're good. You're good. But, but yeah, they they have direct intellection, direct knowledge of that thing. Okay. To the same way that when you think of something, and Aquinas talks about this, right. Uh, the mind is where it acts, and so I, when I uh, would sometimes for a while was teaching middle school Latin, and I would talk about the phenomenon of the young boys uh, looking out the window at the squirrels, and that while the bodies were in the classroom, the minds were outside the classroom. Yeah. Uh, that you, if I asked you right now to stop um, and go to the um, the dryer in your your mother's house 
and open the dryer and to remember the sense and smell and the location that it's using sense memories so it's still part of the whole messiness of the of our bodiliness and yet at the same time your mind is present there mm -hmm. in a real way which comes back to maybe you're talking about it later but the the sort of scholastic question that people make fun of right which is how many angels can you right. you fit on the head of a pin right which is the pure spirit the mind is where it acts their mind is acting upon the head of the pin they're all there right same way that all of us right now could close our eyes and think of the tabernacle right right and our mind would be transported there is transported there in a real way right which which shows how man is this intersection between the material and the spiritual yeah that we have this capacity even though we are corporeal mm -hmm. that is bodily creatures uh, my, uh, at least as, a yeah, as, as much yeah. today as science fiction is obsessed with with space and time travel we can do it instantaneously with our minds right and and not in the sense science fiction wants to do it not in the marty mcfly sense i was going to think doctor who but yeah sure marty mcfly yeah. <laughs> marty uh, doctor hugh is he's hugh. Hugh. <laughs> hugh oh yeah yeah it's w-h-o not h-u-g-h <laughs> apologize for that slip up <laughs> doctor hugh yeah <laughs> Sorry. Nonetheless, nonetheless, yeah. whatever, 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 time traveling you want, right? Uh, it's, it's it's not the same, right? Con continue, Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. So, angels do not have a body, right? Okay. The, the angel Gabriel appears to Our Lady. How does that work? He's thinking about Mary a lot, like really hard. He's thinking really hard about Mary. Okay, that's that's one option. Any other thoughts? Well, maybe he came into the realm of Earth. Came into the realm and of... so God, who is sending him as his messenger, possessed him the means to be that messenger on Earth. Which Can they, like, choose to be somewhere? It's like... Well, obviously, yes. So, like, yeah. your guardian angel is always thinking of you. So yeah. your guardian angel is always present to you. Which is a really trippy thing to think about. Mm -hmm. That, like, we cannot keep our minds on a single thing for more than a few seconds... But for the entirety of your earthly existence, there is a spiritual creature always thinking of you. Poor fellas. Really bored. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Any other, any other final thoughts about Isn't how? Or any other guesses? Possessing a nearby individual? No. It's well, a good guess, though. <laughs> well, could it also could it have something to do with Mary? Like Mary, who is immaculate. Like, she's so in tune with. But spiritual reality. Angels like, but even then, if he didn't have a body, did she? So is it are wrong there, then? Are there of angels oh, yeah. yeah. So then, is it just kind of like the way that they appear? Like you know, we all think of it as like, oh, he appeared, so physically present. Mm. Or could have well, been also remember to more. Joseph, which is a different kind yeah, of appearance. Because how, exactly. how does he appear to Joseph? In a dream. In a dream. So yeah. and he appears to Mary as she's praying. Right. So and so is that like? I think you're 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 on the right you're, track. Yeah, you're, the light particles now. No. <laughs> you're, Kel, Kel is on Kel is on the right track. So cool. they they typically what we've how we've understood it is they can either manipulate our imagination. Mm -hmm. Think of Joseph in the dream, right? Yeah. Or uh, they could, in a sense, put on a disguise, manipulate. Uh, matter I guess you could say so that they appear as 
uh, some human-like thing. I'm not making that noise. Yeah, and the, so I, one of the things I work on is, uh, so I'm translating the untranslated uh, commentaries of Cornelius Elapidite, the 16th century Jesuit commentator. And one of the, right. he, he draws from, I think you have the Gospels, his translation. I, yeah, I have the Gospels. I use them a lot. Yeah, too. They're, they're, they're great. They're great. Uh, but in uh, his Old Testament commentary, he talks about like um, some of these things where at least in the tradition from the church fathers up until the, the 16th and 17th century, one of the, the ways it was spoken of was that uh, while spirit, the same way that our mind can act upon matter, their mind l- lowers itself to act upon matter as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're not bounded as we are as a body-soul composite so that the matter that we act upon is directly our body and then through our body other physical matter but they will manipulate air or other things right. such that they appear air or light or yeah what are you saying like sorry that they don't... think of think of uh, <clears throat> right like like i think like we, a hologram yeah mm. such that they would so, manipulate light or or other matter so that it appeared to us as this but they wouldn't actually can they manipulate could it be they wouldn't uh, take on a body but would they be able to manipulate our senses like they could manipulate, it, like directly manipulate our senses. Not the same way that we oh, but, manipulate no, our senses. Cal, that's a great. Human. That's a great point because this goes between angels and demons too. You have to invite them to do this. You right. can you can invite them to do this, or it would be God granting them to do that. So why is it so important to to give your your angel of God prayer in the in the morning and in the night? It's the invitation to right. to your angel yeah, to cooperate point. with your yeah. intellect, right? Yeah. Which, by the way, is a shame that we don't do this. Because no, right. We think of it as a childish prayer, but... The, the angels, in a way... Now, when it comes to demons, it's like, it's like vampires. You have to invite... Once you've invited them in, they're in. But, it, but so, with, with angels, it's the same, the same way, just not in an evil way. It's a good yeah, way that you have to... So then we have to invite them in. So, like, I prayed the angel of God prayer all the time when I was younger. I don't pray it yeah. as much anymore. Does that mean that, like... I didn't pray today, so my guardian angel is not invited to into my life. Or is it I prayed it when I was younger? So well, I would like... I would say this: like, let's say um, I have a standing, like, let's say I I have a standing rule. Patrick uh, and I will go to Mulready's um, on Tuesday nights after the talk. All right, that's one thing. All right, I've told him that. I've told him that. I, it's not actually a rule. I, we've done it a couple of times. I'm making it a rule. All right, I made a rule. But, but if every Tuesday night I'm like, hey, Mulready's, you going? I mean, he's going to be a lot more likely to, to come if every Tuesday night I'm like, hey, Mulready's. Okay. Versus I said it a year ago and I haven't said it since, even though I'm like, hey, we should on Tuesdays go to Mulready's, right? So yeah. Can- it's an analogy. Yes. Was it it's an a angel promise. <laughs> appeared to Lot? Yeah. Yeah. So then did because ev- everyone in town saw this angel. Well, so so I think like when we're talking about these visions, so one one possibility is a manipulation of imagination, in which case only the person whose imagination is manipulated sees it. This would be like something like, uh, I, I, I think Benedict was talking about this, Benedict Sixteenth. he talked about it as like an intellective, intellectual vision. You're seeing it, 
but it's only you. But look, we we do this all the time through language, right? right? I present to your imagination images, mm-hmm. but I have to mediate it through physical vibrations of air mm-hmm. to produce sounds in your yeah. head, but then produce images. But in the angel opinion. doesn't need any of that. He doesn't need the vibrations. He doesn't need the sound. Your your imagination, your imagination, while connected to the <coughs> senses, is not your senses, so, right? So then, like, oh, go ahead. The people, it was, their response to the angel was violent. Right, so... Uh, and it was important, like, that was a key factor that's in God's true. decision to destroy. That feels kind of entrapment. Right, right, no, no. <laughs> entrapment. It's not entrapment. Like we're manipulating people's minds and such. Well, no, but oh. what I would, but what I, uh, their response was first lust. Yeah. And then, um... Right, I mean, that would be an example, not so much of the manipulation of one individual's imagination where, uh, as opposed to manipulating matter. Um, but again, even even with this, it's not a matter of, This is one of the ways that the church has understood it and the fathers have understood it, but is not an article of faith no, that you no, have no, to no, understand no. that yeah. the angels appeared exactly in the... Right. So, so while it's interesting for us to go down these side roads, if you're having hiccups with it, right. don't let it be... An don't important. let it... Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, this is right. The, thank you. Yeah, That's an important clarification. Right. I believe in. Yeah, we believe in the, but we do believe in you know invisible and invisible, and that is part of the creed. And I think it's you know we we forget that at our peril mm-hmm. that there is this invisible world. Right. And we need to think, and so it's an important conversation. Yeah. So, um, okay. So just uh, two other disclaimers about angels. Right. All right. We already kind of jokingly debunk the idea that they have wings. That's not true. Um, That's an artistic depiction of them. Um, Angels are not human beings who have died and gone to heaven. Okay, angels are creatures of God, pure spirits, right? That's really important. So, and we know they exist uh, because God has revealed them to exist. So whether the angels appeared to Lot by manipulating matter or Lot and, and everyone in in those cities by manipulation matter or however means they did, um, we know they somehow they did right. That is revealed by God, right? So angels have been revealed by God. God cannot deceive, nor be deceived. So the Catechism says the existence of spiritual, non-corporeal beings that sacred scripture usually calls angels is a truth of the faith. The witness of scripture is as clear as the um, un, uh, unanim- un- unanimity of tradition. Apologize for my lack of reading comprehension there. Good, yeah. Good. We're um, good. All right. So now that we've talked about the good guys, talk Ooh. about the bad guys, fallen Paint angels. Turn. Oh, this is just a comment. Please. I'm remembering this from Bishop Barron's Catholicism series. Uh huh. Um, I don't know why this sticks out to me from his trademark. Episode. Trademark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for five easy payments of fifty nine ninety nine. Is it someone? I don't know. It's Thomas Aquinas. Somebody asked, like, how many how many angels are there? And he just answers, I think there's a lot of them. <laughs> I think that like, I think that's a direct quote from the Summa right there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Contra, there's a lot of them. Look, in classic tradition, in sort of angelology, mm-hmm. uh, in popular devotion and belief, and some of the saints have w- witnessed to this, the idea that at every Mass, uh, there are always 5,000 angels witnessing it, mm-hmm. and at every tabernacle at all times, there are 4,000 angels in adoration. 
Right. Which, again, like, these are, like, sort of, like, but and I'm not, like, pulling that out of a hat. Like, these are saints who have testified to to this, um, which, which, again, it's not an article of faith to believe that. Mm-hmm. But what is an interesting thing to think about is that when we step inside that church, right, there is, there, we're not the only beings in there. You have another being with you at all times. This is from Scripture, from our Lord's words mm-hmm. himself. Right. Right, that that each one of the the little ones has an angel in heaven watching them, and this is and this is this is a really important thing to remember about the mass. I mean, the mass in general, there is so much more going on than meets our eye. I mean, this is the intersection of the of heaven and earth, the mass, and so uh, you're right. You have the angels, you have the saints, you have God Himself on the altar. Um, you're mystically, uh, as it were, Calvary is presented again in an unbloody manner. Um, no so, matter no matter how ugly the church. Yes. Yeah. Or how no, sloppy how, it's celebrated. How bad the music. How, yeah. How how, how ugly the, the carpet. The, the homily. Uh, are we just? No, we're, we're talking, just talking about general. my masses now, right? <laughs> 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 Anything else about our chapel? Yeah. No, but what, no, to, to bring it back though, this is um, one of the things yeah, I find that. fascinating is the, um, the the love these days of these outdoor masses and things like that, right? Which yeah. really should be exceptions because when you remember of where you're participating, you, mm. it's not just human actors, right? Right, and, and so a church is a place that's consecrated, mm-hmm. that is yeah. set apart, like kind of like like everything else we use at Mass. I mean, you are not going to see me at Dylan's strolling around in my vestments, mm-hmm. right? You, you know, I am, you are not going to come over to the rectory and see me pour Bud Light in the chalice while I watch a football game. That would, both of those things would be seriously wrong. Why? Those things are set apart for sacred use. Mm-hmm. Now, you're right. In a pinch, in an emergency situation, if I'm in a gulag and I have to say mass in whatever clothes I have on, sure. That's which, an, by the way, are you giving a, 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 a promotional here for With God in Russia? I am. Which is a fantastic, fantastic book. Don't even book. get me started. Monica's, <laughs> Monica's saint. Yeah. Her... her He's... Uh, well, he's not, he's not a canonized saint he's yet. He's not a canonized saint he, yet. He's my very dear friend in heaven. You know where I went to graduate school is Fordham University. Yes. When he was finally released from Russia, where did he teach? Fordham. Fordham. And Which, I, man, I mean, I talk often, about this orthodox uh, island in a sea of... Uh, well, in a flannel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about With that later. Like yeah. time. But I, I loved walking through the grounds of Fordham University thinking of, of him having walked there before, though. But, but Chiswick talked about this. He talked about how he would say these masses in the gulag, and he's wearing, you know, his prisoner mm-hmm. uniform. He has uh, no... No, his vessels are not made of gold. Mm-hmm. His his altar is whatever poor shabby table of rock they had. Uh, but he talked about how how much these masses felt like heaven on earth, right? Mm-hmm. But that's an exception, right? That's an extreme situation in general. We have these churches for a reason, right? Yeah, yeah. Which again, sorry, mm-hmm. pulling us back into the angelology of the whole thing that these these angels are here with us in worship. But again, the the two kinds of songs that we sing in mass, right? Um, right as we, you know, the Marty, song... Marty Hagen and David Haas. <laughs> no, I was thinking about the. I was thinking, <laughs> about, the, I was thinking about the Sanctus. Yes, right? Sanctus. Which, the Sanctus, which is which is their their song that we jo- we get to join. Right. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, yeah. Where there, it, it would seem from the words themselves that they are the proper choir yeah. of yes. that song, and we are merely the, the poor schmucks trying to. <laughs> <laughs> and, the fumblers. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, don't worry, Advent's coming, and we're going back to Lingua Latina. So, so anyway, sorry, yes. demons were. Where demons we were is going. what we're on now. Um, so. When we talk about the demons, these are these are fallen angels. Okay, these are creatures created by God, created good. Uh, they were they were angels. Uh, they are angels. Uh, perfect knowledge. Perfect right. Perfect will. Right, 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 right. These angels, though the angels, all the angels in the beginning were put to the test. Right, just like Adam and Eve were. We don't know the nature of the test as well as we do, say, and Adam and Eve. Yeah, the difference, one of the key differences of their test versus our test is that we as human beings are a species, a single species. Yeah. And every angel. And every angel species. is its own species. Yes. Mind blown. Great. Oh, what? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you understand what we mean there? Why, why we would say every angel would it be its own species? No. Well, so, I mean... You, I'll, I'll let you handle this one. I'm going to so, butcher it. So we, we all, as human beings, have personhood. Kel is a person who is unique and distinct from Joshua as a person. And yet at the same time, uh, if I were to you know, uh, ask for a drop of your blood and your blood and put it under the microscope and looked at the DNA, it would be remarkably similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at phenomena like uh, mitochondrial Eve, as we talk about, mm-hmm. right? Um, the chromosomes that we share, the, the bodies... We are one flesh in a way that, again, the Catholic Church and the community, the kind of conversations that are happening in this country today, we are one in a way that is real in our dignity. And so when we fall as creature soul or as body soul composites, we fall together. All it takes is one for the whole to be corrupted. Well, and, and yeah. yeah, you're right. With, and yet at the same time, with angels, since each of them are unique, that is, uh, their their mind, their will, that are unique unto themselves, mm-hmm. the same way that persons are, and yet they don't share with us the the bodily sameness, right? And so all they have is the distinction of persons in mind and will, and so there is there is no sameness except for the fact that they are spiritual beings, but you wouldn't say that just because I'm a physical being and the cat is a physical being that we are the same. Right. Right. And so each of the uh, cats are species, dogs are species, humans are species. Side note, Myers-Briggs and angels, your thoughts. What? Oh my gosh. Uh, different time. <laughs> oh my different God. Time. Father, why? <laughs> different, diff, different Side time. Side note, spaghetti and pandas, your but, thoughts. But each, each angel. Oh, then, Joshua. Each, each angel then is its own species. And so, it's deci- the decision of the angel then cannot represent the whole of, of that created order. <coughs> right. Wow. Right. So, wild. so each of them, when they fell, they fell as individuals. They fell as individuals. And so the tradition is that uh, Lucifer was shown either, I mean, it, it depends on who you read, but he was shown either the incarnation, mm-hmm. that God would become man and he would have to bow down before the God man. Or that he was shown the Immaculate Conception, mm-hmm. or perhaps both, and was so offended he rebelled. All right, and he enticed roughly one third of angels to rebel with him. 
And so that's why we still have good angels and fallen angels, because they individually... Right, and Revelation talks about this, this war yeah. in the heaven between Michael and the dragon. Mm -hmm. And Michael and, and the holy angels, they overcome the dragon, and he's cast down to earth and wages war. Which, by the way, also, like, uh, when we think about the, the number of angels, then, if we think of, from the very beginning, all... There are no new angels in, cre in creation. Right. They're singularly right. created in our time. And the one of the traditions with that one-third falling is that what humans are to do is to make up that number. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is then means that in heaven there would be two angels for every one person. And so you think yeah, of the numbers. numbers and numbers of angels that must exist. Yeah, a right. lot. Right, right, right. right. Sorry. We, no, no, no. This is good. This is good. So uh, we have we have this war in heaven. Um, all right. Fallen angels lose this war. The dragon is cast down. Wages war on mankind. Okay. Let's let's stop and do a little thought experiment. Okay. Let's imagine we're all hiking in the woods. All right. We come across a rattlesnake. Someone really smart like Kel or Bobby uh, is like. Is Kel or Bobby is okay. like? Wow, there's a rattlesnake. <laughs> They're poisonous. Watch out! And somebody very foolhardy. Actually, wouldn't be venomous. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> as we said, Bobby's very smart. <laughs> Bobby's very smart. They're venomous. They're venomous. Not poisonous. Somebody very foolhardy, I mean, like, and I'll be nice, like our chaplain, Father Matt Nagel, is like, whatever, that is an old wives' tale. I don't believe in such a thing. I am going to pick this thing up and play with it, and it bites me, right? Okay, what's going to happen? Well, unless it was a dry bite, I'm going to be in really big trouble, right? Um, my life is in danger, okay? It doesn't matter whether or not I believe rattlesnakes are poisonous. They are. That's the objective reality. What's my point? Angels are real whether we believe in them or not. And so are demons, whether we believe in them or not. They exist even though we can't see them. Fallen angels, demons, they are malicious. They are dangerous. Um, think of it this way. So God actively works for our good. He loves us. He wants us to be truly happy and fulfilled which means living in union with him and adoring him. Uh, but we also have enemies, and these enemies are Satan and his demons, and they are the opposite, but they're not an equal force, right? They are God's creatures. They are infinitely, God is infinitely more powerful than them. Uh, they are the opposite force in our spiritual life. They actively work against our good. They desire that we remain broken, and they want us to live eternally separated from God, okay? Mm -hmm. So they actively work against our good. So this is where the analogy with the rattlesnake limps, right? Because rattlesnakes are not out to bite us, right? We might stumble on one, but um, demons are out to actively work against our good. Um, the devil's activity is, is limited, and the normal and most common way that the demonic tries to work against our good is through what? Through possession, right? No. Through temptation, wow. through temptation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. This is the normal, ordinary means. Now, every time we're tempted, it does not mean there's a devil whispering in our yeah. ear. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every time we're tempted does not mean, oh, man, there's going to swat the demons away. Right, because if, you, if you're tempted too often and too much, that actually calls your attention to that other reality. Right. And what he wants you to, to do is to sit in your lukewarmness of... Yeah. 
awful. Right. And not feel the call one way or the other. Right. Right, right, right. And just, you know, go on auto, on cruise control to hell. Right, 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 right. Mm. Right. And we can also... What? What? Josh. Josh, whatever. What? It's in the letter. In the... the So... Toast at the end. Sometimes you talk. Right, right, right. I mean, so why do they want to tempt us, right? I mean, they want to tempt us to sin. Sin, grave, mortal sin leads to spiritual death, right? Uh, And so that's the goal. The good news, though, is that even if we're tempted and fall, we have the sacrament of reconciliation, uh, which can restore us to that life of grace, all right? And the ultimate temptation that the devil's really after, I would would suggest, speculate, is he wants to get us to despair, right? Mm -hmm. To despair of receiving God's mercy. You know, this is often how the devil works, right? You know, we'll be tempted to something, give in, and then immediately it's, you're a terrible person. Right. I mean, it's not. It, There's no remediation right, of this. Right, right, right. No one else has sinned as bad as you've sinned. Right, right. I, you know, I'll tell you a personal story about this. My first confession as a, as a penitent, <laughs> when I was seven or eight years old, I had seen someone somewhere stick a, a, a flip somebody off. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what this meant. In front of my mom, I flipped this girl off when I'm seven years old. My mom is just horrified that her seven-year-old would do this. I have no idea what it means. Well, then I have first reconciliation, and I am terrified. I am absolutely terrified to tell the priest this. I'm like, this might be the worst thing he's ever heard. That thought actually can be, this might be the worst thing he's ever heard. And I am like white as a sheep going into the confessional. Now that I've been a priest and I've been on the other side of those confessions, I have no idea how this priest didn't just fall out of his chair laughing at me. Yeah. But he but he did. He, you know, I mean, that's how we think, right? I mean, we laugh at that because that's a seven or eight-year-old who thinks, you know, unknowingly flipping somebody off, like not really knowing what it means flipping somebody off is is the worst possible sin. But, but I don't know. even confess to that. I just stick to the high points. Okay, Josh. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, Okay, temptation to sin is the most common way that Satan destroys people, but it's not the only way. The demonic can manifest itself in more extraordinary ways. Uh, Typically, this is because people have opened themselves up to that evil, okay? How do they do that? Uh, It's typically through occult activities, right? The word occult means trying to contact or get in touch with supernatural beings or powers that are not divine, often in order to obtain some result that is beyond the capacity of nature. What does that mean? Some knowledge, okay? Like, why do people go to psychics? Because um, they're trying to get some foreknowledge of the future right. uh, by, by, by tapping which, in. Which, yeah, we talked about this too. I want to point out, we have even from St. Anthony of the Desert, though, the fact that angels and demons are limited creatures the way that we are limited. Mm-hmm. And so they do not have foreknowledge of the future. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the, so psychics, even if a psychic is giving you something which is channeling into some sort of demonic right. powers, right. they have no flipping mm-hmm. clue what's going to happen in the right. future. But there can be, mm-hmm. um, right, exactly, exactly. Which is, by the way, uh, when, when St. Anthony of the Desert had some visions, the way that he tested it, right, was to see if they could actually foretell the future. And all that the demon could do was tell him what was happening in some distant town. It seemed like it was the future because he didn't hear news of it until later. But it happened at the same time as this demonic vision. 
Right. And so Anthony knew that it was not from God. Or it could be, you know, another common occult activities like Ouija boards, which is trying to contact the dead yeah. uh, and, and, and so, so forth. Now, often when I talk about these things, the first objection I get is these are just harmless fantasies. I don't really believe in the Ouija board. I don't really believe in the psychic. I'm just, you know, having a good time. Um, okay, well, the truth is that um, the problem with this attitude is that it's like grabbing the rattlesnake and saying, I don't really believe it's harmful. I just like to play with rattlesnakes. Um, and and obviously the difference there is if you played with rattlesnakes, it'd be visibly obvious to you that you were in trouble right away. Um, the occult is far from a harmless fam- fantasy because we are opening ourselves up to the demonic. Okay, Now... I always preface this with another personal story. I was 17, I was at an after prom party with this girl, uh, and there was a psychic there, and we went to the psychic, right, because we thought it was a joke. Did I come away from that possessed? No. Uh, If you were at a sleepover when you were 10 and you played with a Ouija board, are you possessed? No. But. Uh, this is something that we don't want to mess with, and and what I when I learned later years later, um, kind of why the church which taught what she did, I I brought that to confession, and I would encourage that with anyone, um, just to um, tie up any loose ends spiritually, so to speak. Okay, um, how can the occult activity be spiritually dangerous when someone engages in occult activities? They are perhaps unwittingly inviting into their lives the demonic, okay? And this can manifest itself in a few ways, right? The, the manifestation people are most familiar with is probably, the, is by far the rarest, which is possession, where a demon actually takes hold of a person's body. This is rare and the most severe. There can also be lesser manifestations, what's called diabolical oppression, or obsession, which can range from seeing shadowy figures to hearing or seeing things to being oppressed by bizarre and incessant thoughts to other phenomena. Yet even in these rare and extraordinary circumstances, there is still hope because to the power of the sacraments and prayer, especially confession, and if need be through exorcism, people who have opened that door can by the power of Christ be set free. Okay. What you'd also see from exorcists though too is that while people have a fascination with the rite of exorcism itself it is always going to be coupled with confession yeah and confession itself as any ex- good exorcist would tell you is the more powerful right yeah. i i um I'll, I'll tell this story i i one time had somebody um come to me uh wanting uh, i i am not an exorcist but wanting some help along those lines and i contacted the priest who is and he was adamant that until this person is willing to repent mm-hmm. and make a good confession no deliverance prayer no exorcism mm-hmm. is going to do him any good and he told me my recommendation is unless they do that don't do anything and so i i followed that wow. um and and yeah i mean confession is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. so um i want to add something to to what you were discussing there which is the um Again, uh, something we, we talked about, uh, the, the yeah. quote from J.R.R. Tolkien, that is, evil cannot uh, create, it can only mock. Yeah. And the idea here is, uh, you know, for me, I often teach Dante in a lot of the college classes I teach. And 
one of the things that Dante, I think, really nails about evil is the, um, again, you go back to the, the popular story of the fathers of the church, that why does, why does Satan rebel? Because he, he looks at the incarnation and he's horrified by it. Right. Uh, and yet, at the same time, however horrified they are with physical reality, right, the, the visible world, they're willing to it it hurts them but again like many of us right we're if we're angry we're sinful oftentimes we're willing to endure some mental or physical pain in order to inflict some greater mental or physical pain perceived upon others so you know why would why would these demons it, possession is a is a form of mockery of the incarnation right mm-hmm. um obsession and all these other things the the use of the ouija board right they're anti-sacramentals. Right. They're ways of <clears throat> the demonic trying to mock what the church has given us. And so we think of these uh, demonic devices and other things as, as symbols of power and things of power. But we forget that the church and her wisdom and beauty has given us all these other great symbols and realities of real power and love. The seven sacraments and all the sacramentals the church has given us. Right, which are always going to be able to overcome these. Right, 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 right. That uh, you know, this is the importance of you know blessing yourself with holy water and yeah. all these other little things that we do. And we'll and we'll come back to this, but but th- this is a very important point that that I mean, as scary as this stuff can at times sound, Christ has won the victory. He's infinitely more powerful. Uh, we'll come back to this, but but we there are ways that we can. Um, latch on to Christ and, and have no fear in this regards through the sacraments, the sacraments yeah. through prayer. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't talk about this with Halloween, but one of the things about it with bringing up demons and Satan and everything like that with Halloween is that it's a way of, of joking and making fun of it. Sometimes when we talk about these things, we get super serious to the point where we give too much credence to the power yes. of, these, yes. of these entities. Yeah, yeah. Where your simple guardian angel can overcome any of them if you entrust it with, if you say yes. I, I the I same would, way that the, the Michael, an archangel, one of the lowest orders of angels. You know, and, and and often when I do when I when I bless holy water, I'm always using the older format, which you first would exercise and bless salt, and then exercise and bless the holy water, and then you mix the two together. But it would talk about you know may demons flee wherever this is sprinkled and just think about that for a minute these malicious creatures who want to harm us spiritually we sprinkle water that's blessed and they flee i mean that's the power of christ in the sacramentals uh i mean i mean uh it it uh right i i do think we can definitely we i i don't want you to walk away from here terrified and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do, I do want to take a slight detour and talk about the phenomenon of ghosts and what is that and what does the church teach about that. So when somebody claims that they have seen a ghost, really, there's one of three possibilities. By far the most likely one is that their mind has played a trick on them or uh, they have some kind of sleep disorder or mental illness, hallucination, they're on medication. Um, there's some, they're, they're, some natural explanation for what they think they saw, okay? 
that is by far the most common. What if that is, but that doesn't explain every single time somebody says they're seeing something. So what else could it be? It could be um, some kind of uh, demonic manifestation masquerading as a, as a dead person, uh, either directly or indirectly. Like either they see a demon attempting to appear as a, a loved one who died or, or, or as a dead person. Or like sometimes people will go to a medium or something and they'll get some knowledge that only that person would know and they think, oh, I'm communicating with my dead relative through this medium. And but that's... you forget that demons are pure intellect and once you've given them a scent to enter into your mind, they can then... Right. It's, so it's not like they're actually communicating even with a dead person. Right. What you've done is just given them the keys to the index file of all your memories in your mind right. and your imagination. Right, right, right. And they will produce whatever... And whatever things to scare you. Right. Yeah. But... but um, um, so that that is a possibility. Um, when people tell me, like I've had a few people over my time as a priest say, oh, you know, we're seeing things at the house or something. My first reaction is let me come and bless it. And then um, usually that takes care of it, whether there was actually something there or not. I don't know. Um, the other possibility, though, and I would say this is probably the just guessing the rarest of the three uh, is that souls in purgatory can appear to ask for prayers. I'm going to let Patrick touch on this. So, oh well. First of all, I want to comment on the fact that it's a little bit after eight already. So I know that I want to respect your guys' time. So we'll, I'll try to be brief here. But no um, we're almost we're almost to the done. Yeah, we're almost to the done. Um, <laughs> to the done. Got it. To uh, the done. <laughs> Yes, the church has had this tradition for quite some time of understanding that souls in purgatory need our prayer. The fathers go in two ways of whether the souls in purgatory can pray for us or whether they're purely just passive and purgative and, and suffering. But either way, uh, they need our prayers. We forget to pray for them. And so it is allowed for them to make some sort of sign um, where they make their intentions known. So for me, when I teach the Shakespeare's Hamlet, this is you know one of my go-to things in purgatory. When Hamlet sees his father's ghost, Horatio asks him, you know, and says, "Please don't follow that." Right? It can be a demon that tempts you to commit suicide, and catches you in a state of mortal sin, and you die, and you go to hell. What's interesting is about Hamlet's ghost is that uh, the father. Hamlet the doesn't actually ask for prayers to relieve himself from purgatory but says hey my my brother killed me and is now sleeping with my wife and I need you to kill him while he's still in a state of sin so he can come to hell too and so it's a curious thing of what did Hamlet see there because it's not just a straight-up demon as Horatio thinks tempting him to the flood and yet it's this other thing which is inviting him to commit mortal sin to keep someone else trapped in mortal sin quacks like a duck talks <laughs> walks like a duck it's a duck it's probably a demonic manifestation rather than the soul of his father asking for prayer 
And yet there's all these other uh, things in Hamlet, like uh, references to St. Patrick, who um, in Middle Ages was uh, the, the saint associated with purgatory. Um, we have a famous, before Dante and his purgatorio, there was a St. Patrick's purgatory, which is another poem, not as good as Dante. Don't bother. Um, but, but goes through the sufferings of the, of the souls in purgatory. Um, and so we see you know, Shakespeare playing with that, and I would say that there are incidents that you can read about, too, of souls uh, coming back and just sort of reminding loved ones who, you know, today we live in a society where, you know, the funeral mass is often turned into a celebration of life, mm-hmm. <coughs> and we don't walk away thinking about how we need to pray for that soul. Right. Uh, and then uh, you do see higher, inst- I, would, I would dare say there are perhaps higher instances of these ghosts who are in vain saying, don't forget me. You're still Catholic. You're still going to Mass every Sunday, and yet you're not praying for me. Pray for, right, right. I think one of the saddest things that I see working for the church is um, occasionally uh, I would see you know people uh, having Masses offered, and how rare a thing it is for, for my generation and the generation that's following that we don't often have masses yeah. offered for the dead. And I'll, and I'll be really honest. I mean, most of our masses are from a handful of people here. Who um, are generally in their 60s. Or... Yeah, 50s older, and I would say. But, you know, the thing about it is, like, like tonight, we didn't have an intention, so I offered it for all the holy souls in purgatory. Uh, but, but it's something that, I mean, yeah, when your loved ones die, the best thing you can do for them mm-hmm. is to pray for them, have masses said for them, uh, the very best thing you can do is to is to do that. Right. 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 We're in November. We're, We're in November, the month. What, what did I do with my family on, on, on Saturday? We went to Mass. We went up to see uh, my children's great-grandfather, right? And we said the prayers of the dead for him there. Again, like the sacramental, like mm-hmm. the demons are only mocking the sacramental reality that we get to joy and, and, and right. flourish in. It means something for us to take the time to go where the body is laid, even though the soul right. is hopefully... So that, how do you sign up to have a Mass intention? You go to the church office and you say, I would like to have a Mass said for my grandpa. Um, I would like to have five Masses said for my grandpa. I'd like to have 30 Masses said for my and grandpa. And you can indicate the date, so that way you yeah. can... You don't have to be there, right? Because right. it's just as... But there, you know, oftentimes you, you want to set the date so you know that it's a day that you can be there. And then that way you're part of those prayers and you're joining into that as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's a suggested offering, but, I mean, it costs. I mean, if you don't have money, that's fine. I'll say a Mass. I mean, most, the vast majority of Masses I have said, um, you know, now is just, you know, my mom so, texts me and says, say a Mass for so-and-so. You yeah. Know, you know. And, and or, or whoever does and, and and the suggested offering is something like 10 bucks and it's not um, I mean this is it depends canonically upon how the diocese sets it up but it's meant to be a reasonable fee uh, even it's a reasonable suggested donation yeah these are the, again like we just had Reformation Day on October 31st these are the things that we follow Reformation Day by a month where the Catholic Church most remembers indulgences yeah but, yeah. Uh, well, you call it Reformation Day. I call it Fall of Western Civilization Day. Well, <laughs> it's probably not the most charitable thing, but nonetheless, nonetheless, um, yeah, I, I, I wish I wish that it was something that other people, um, my genera- our generation, I do too. Younger. I do too. I think, and this is something that I harp on all the time: that that one of the great treasures of our faith 
that we have kind of tossed out, uh, you know, the baby with the bathwater in regards to is praying for the dead. Mm-hmm. At every single Mass, there is a time where the priest in the Eucharistic prayer prays for the dead, and that is not only the priest. You know, anybody at that time can call to mind their loved ones. And I rattle off. I have names that I rattle off interiorly that I did at Mass tonight. Uh, it's my four grandparents, my great uncle who was a priest, Two other priests I know who died. Sometimes I include other people. You know, people, I had two friends in college die while we were in college. Um, I had uh, funerals I've done for young people, tragic deaths that I've done. Um, And you guys can do the same. I mean, we all have been, everyone is touched by losing loved ones. And when we go to Mass, we want to remember, or when we receive communion, you know, Jesus, grant eternal rest to my grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know it's late, so um, the last thing I would say is just, I know this is a heavy topic, but um, a little thought experiment, I think, to just kind of give us the right perspective, okay? Or actually, it's not a thought experiment, it's a personal story, last personal story. So I grew up doing a lot of things outside, right? My dad was into fishing and hunting, and so from a young age, he would tell myself, my brother, be very careful, there are venomous snakes, right? And he would, he would kind of tell us what to watch for. And I remember one time, I think I was probably seven or eight, and, and it was really obvious to my dad that I was excessively preoccupied with making sure I watched where I stepped, thinking there was a copperhead or rattlesnake waiting to bite me uh, with, each, with, each, with each drop of the foot. And he said, look, you don't need to be paralyzed with fear. These snakes are real. You just need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of what to look for and what to stay away from. I would say it's similar with the demonic. Mm -hmm. They're real. They're dangerous. But Christ is infinitely stronger. Stay close to him. Live a sacramental life. Uh, Receive the Eucharist. Go to confession. Pray the rosary. Stay in a state of grace as best you can, right? And, Mm -hmm. And you don't have anything to worry about. Okay? Amen.